Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I want to start off today by getting you to think about a scenario. So let's say you're at a game, you're getting ready to hit the field, and you learn that another player is, or has been, a real soldier. How do you typically respond to this? Does some part of you think that, actually, you know what, I really want that guy on my team? Do you instantly have a bit more respect for that person's skills? Or do you simply just regard them like any other player? Mine and Pat's experience has been that players with military experience are overwhelmingly valued and respected on the airsoft field by the vast majority of players, especially by younger, more impressionable players. In fact, this is so prevalent that unfortunately, some people feel the need to impersonate or fake that experience in an effort to command more respect and more reverence from other players, what we commonly know as stolen valor. To be clear, we do respect and honor the sacrifice of service by soldiers both past and current. But the question we want to discuss today is whether or not that service actually makes soldiers better airsoft players than the average player. Due to their training and experience, are soldiers more effective? Are they better shooters? Are they more aggressive on the field? And do they know some like secret squirrel tactics and maneuvers that give their team an edge all the time? So to have this conversation, we're joined in the studio by Cal. In addition to being one of the founding members of the team, along with my Pat and myself, Cal is a sergeant, uh, OR6, in the Canadian Army. He served with our local infantry regiment for 10 years and has instructed on several military courses, including basic military qualification, which is the Canadian Armed Forces equivalent to basic training or boot camp. So with his airsoft and military experience, he's a great person to have here with us today. So thanks so much for joining us. So Cal, first off, I think there's a bit of a misconception amongst a lot of airsofters that what we do has a lot of overlap with what soldiers do. And aside from the way that it looks at a, I guess, very superficial level, they're vastly different though, right? Where does what we do in Airsoft fit into the bigger picture of armed force, especially like considering your job? There's definitely some aspects that uh, correlate from Airsoft to the real world military. So obviously the weapons are one-to-one -one scale, the magazines one-to-one -one scale, and if you want to get down that road and actually have uniforms like ourselves, we wear woodland BDUs, plate carriers, chest rigs, helmets, the whole nine yards. So actually weapons manipulation, weapons control, utilizing the platforms correctly and efficiently, and actually knowing how to reload them and actually utilize them in either a woodland or an urban setting or any kind of thing like that is obviously very beneficial. But on the broader picture of things, again, like you don't really need to know much past just weapons handling and operating in like a small team or squad environment. Airsoft teaches a very basic level of how to actually operate in that setting and utilize the these tools at your disposal. But on the broader scheme of things, I'm working in a platoon, company context, unless you're working, or not working, playing, I should say, in uh, one of the larger operations in the US has like uh, Lion Claw, the larger broad aspects of like supply, artillery, logistics, medical, transport, administrative uh, arms and military don't really make that much sense for the airsoft context of things. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think about like, even like Milson West and stuff where they have a really big push on, you know, being able to generate like, I forget what they're called, like eight line reports or 10 line reports. Yeah, so or... like a nine, like a medical report. So like yeah. each line represents a certain thing, like the nationality, the, in the individual, uh, look at the missed report, missed reports, like a mechanism of injury, the status of the patient, 
uh, what kind of injury they sustain, that kind of stuff. So they definitely implement a lot of very interesting and unique and very valuable um, assets for the training. I think they actually do supply and administrative uh, aspects as well. So they actually do bring in like units can only carry so much ammo and you have to go back to a certain area to resupply and that kind of stuff. But what I said before, I should reiterate, is that the military has much more to it than Airsoft would be able to really implement. Especially at, like, a random weekend skirmish with, like, 60 dudes or 40 dudes or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the closest that our team comes to having sort of quartermaster stuff on the go is you and me carrying everyone else's <laughs> stuff, right? Like, That's very true, yeah. So there's there's a lot more to the military, like you were just saying, than what we do on the airsoft field. And so I guess by consequence, there's a lot more to being a soldier. So firstly, just because you're in the military does not mean that you're an infantryman, right? Even if you're in the army, there's a lot of different trades, right? So you're an infantryman, right? Yes. So uh, I did about, well, 10 years total as infantryman, but I specialized for about four years with psychological warfare. I still was an infantryman, but on paper, I was full-time psychological operations. But there's multiple different combat arm trades in the military. So you can have infantry, artillery, uh, combat engineer, uh, armored recce, armored, and a few other I'm, I'm surely I'm forgetting. But the vast majority of trades in the military aren't really directly combat related. Not At least not ground combat, digging trenches in the ground, prepping for the enemy to come, or prepping for operations on the offensive going towards the enemy, or any kind of operation like that in which you could be engaging the enemy in combat. Yeah, like you could be a clerk or a cook or even Absolutely. a doctor or a chaplain or yeah. whatever. I mean, even an artillery personnel who is, you know, if you're serving a crew-served gun, you're definitely a combat officer. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the artillery is also often trained, too, with uh, not just indirect fire, but direct fire assets as well. So they're trained, if a tank or an armored fighting vehicle or what have you comes to that position, they're trained to level that gun, a direct fire asset to shoot at that vehicle and then get out of there as fast as possible. But clearly you're not going to be firing your rifle very much in that particular job, right? No, and a lot of those guys have, like, rifles that are particularly designed for that role as well. So a lot of airsofts out there have, like, M4 carbines, that kind of stuff. But the mainline infantryman in Canada, at least, carries a C8, or correction, not C8, that's our carbine variant, but a C7, which is like an M16-style pattern rifle. It's a 20-inch barrel. It's designed for longer style of engagements. But artillerymen or, like, military police or other people who be in the field or troops who be in the field will be carrying a carbine-style rifle. Yeah, and just to be clear, like, and this is not to disparage anyone who is not in the combat arms in the military, quite likely, and I mean, maybe you can talk about this a little bit, like, if you're a lawyer, or you're a clerk, or you're a cook, you have some sort of training from your BMQ days around weapons manipulation, and so on and so forth. I think, I think about the United States Marine Corps, there's a saying that they have, which is that every Marine a rifle, right? So everyone is capable of actively using their, whatever their service rifle is, it must be very similar in the Canadian Armed Forces as well, right? Very similar, yes. So in the land component, at least, so for all land-based uh, MOSs or military specifications, uh, everyone does their basic military qualification, and then they'll go on to do either some variation or iteration of BMQ land or their soldier qualification. So after your BMQ is around a month, you'll have around half a month to a full month of just like a soldier qualification. That includes like light machine gun training, hand grenades, some, a some aspect of anti-armor platforms you can learn, but they're going to learn patrolling, how to dig in for defensive, how to be a participant in a recce patrol, how to be a participant in a defensive or any kind of operation in which you would be operating in a land-based environment. So every Canadian soldier, in the Army component at least, in a land-based environment will be a rifleman as well. Right. So all of that experience must be relevant to Airsoft, right? 
Yes and no. So I would say that maybe 10% to like 5%, even as infantrymen, of what you do is actually relatable to airsoft. Actually going out there, pulling your trigger at a target or a figure 11, like a paper target or on the field, another airsofter, you're doing that all the time in airsoft. In the army, you're not doing it all the time, right? A lot of it is planning. So you're planning how to actually wreck it. You're planning for how much uh, ammo, water, rations, how much fuel am I gonna need today? Uh, if we take contact, we're walking like right outside of our fob, we're walking right outside of our recce, our recce hive, what are we gonna do? We plan for every possible situation that we could feasibly plan for. Meanwhile, on airsoft, you don't wanna, it's, it's not fun to do that, right? Yeah. You don't wanna sit there for hours on end listening to orders and briefs and what's gonna happen if this happens. I mean, yes, if you go to a milsim, It'll be a little more fleshed out, but you're still not going to be prepping for like eight, nine, ten hours. Unless I guess you're really diehard. Like I'm sure people out there do, and don't get me wrong. If that's what you enjoy, all the power to you. But when I go to the field, I don't want to live ready for work. So I just want to go out there, maybe prep for five, ten minutes of a small plan, and just go out and have fun. Mm-hmm, for sure. And that that hour you go on the field, uh, we don't really experience it that as much as you might think in the military. It's such a small fraction of what we actually do. So you don't spend eight hours a day uh, doing kill house and just like shooting <laughs> every day, right? Not even as an infantier. I think that's a fair point. Like all we do in airsoft, I mean, again, big male sims or whatever aside, like the typical airsoft game, all we're doing is shooting and moving, basically. Right, that's all we're doing the whole game. Hey, speak for yourself. Some of us spend part of the game fixing the things you break. Yeah, fair fair <laughs> enough. But, you know, if you're going to a game, most of what we're doing is shooting and moving, right? Mm-hmm. Or observing and communicating. Generally, that tends to, in Airsoft at least, tends to take much more of a backseat, especially the communication piece in our experience anyway. Well, it's observe, communicate, get shot at. <laughs> yeah, or just, just shoot and move, shoot, move, shoot, move. And like you just said, like that's only a small part of what you do as an infantier. And I guess part of the reason for that is that doing that in real life is really dangerous, right? Yeah. yeah, live fire is incredibly dangerous. I actually went and practiced new skills, like even just like driving around a lab in a tactical context is incredibly dangerous. You have a lab rollover. If you're not cognizant or aware of what's going on around you, it's incredibly dangerous. You could even lose your life just in training alone. In the context of when you're fighting with an actual enemy, being 50 meters away from them and blasting them all like for hours and hours, like that's very dangerous, Absolutely right? terrifying as well. There's no reason why you would intentionally close distance on enemy you're, you're trying to eliminate or otherwise engage when you could effectively engage them at around 100, 200 meters away. Why would you move closer unless you want to verify the target or there's something that is demanding you to move closer? In airsoft, you have to because your weapons can't reach that far. Yeah. If I shoot 100 meters away, I'm more likely not going to hit my target. <laughs> yeah. Especially not in the first shot. So the amount of military members who've gone through situations where they've been engaging enemies within 100 meters or 50 meters is going to be pretty limited, right? And it's, it's very... It's not something you would really plan for. Unless yeah. you're going in in an urban operations context, which you're actually fighting room to room, house to house, or if it's like an ambush, enemies nearby, or it's a chance engagement, like... You're driving by and all of a sudden the enemy opens up on you, then yeah, that's you roll the punches and you're gonna have to engage them and be close like that. But it it strikes me more as a situation where either something you don't want to do has occurred unavoidably or where something has gone wrong. Like it's not your end goal. Ever. Or you're forced to fight in that context. Again, like urban ops, like if the enemy's not coming out and you have no other way to get in there, or if there's like you can't there's something in your ROE where you can't actually engage the building or you can't damage or cause unnecessary damage to a building. A good example would be that, I think it was in Band of Brothers, 
when they're, they have a tank crew coming up and they can't engage a uh, Tiger tank is hidden behind like a barn because the British tank commander is told that he was ordered directly that you cannot cause unnecessary damage to the uh, local um, architecture or buildings. Mm-hmm. So he had to go up there and visually see his enemy before he could effectively engage him first. Right. So if you see a player at a field and you're told that this person, they're an active member of the military, and let's say for argument's sake that they're an infantryman. So we've already sort of discussed that a lot of the skills that they would have picked up will not be directly transferable. Their weapon manipulation skills certainly would be. But when it comes to, you know, engaging targets, it's pretty unlikely that they would be well-trained and well-versed at engaging targets at literal point-blank ranges. So what about the other aspects of soldiering that might actually make them a better softer like tactics, for example? And I'm not asking you to go into specific of like tactics you can't disclose or anything, but those tactics that you learn, surely they must be helpful to you on the airsoft field, right? So the baseline, like for any army out there, it's shoot, move, and communicate. You're always going to be shooting, either moving or communicating. Communicating throughout, shooting and moving throughout as well, just doing one or the other at a time. And that's not a huge secret, but pretty much any time you can, fire and cover someone else, and then he's going to fire and you're going to move just so you can advance and move safely on your enemy. So I think that just generic military member will have a grasp on that sort of concept. They might not know uh, what an airsoft gun can do other than just like shoot a plastic BB out. They don't know the constraints and the pros and cons of the certain platform they're using. They might expect them more out of the rifle. So for example, like um, how fast the BB is actually going to come out. Like if I tell someone, yeah, my gun shoots 400 FPS, a random person is not going to know exactly how fast a plastic projectile is going to go when you tell them that. They mm-hmm. might think it's going to be like that and it's gone, it's done. That, that hits the person with a Almost six feet of sound now, not right. actually speed of sound, but. Well, I mean, if they're used to firing sort of five, five, six. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a much faster moving ground than an airsoft BB. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what about the other tactics that you learn? And I mean, again, not asking you to disclose any, but we talked uh, earlier about how the effective ranges of real steel guns are much greater than airsoft guns. And consequently, it would seem to me that most of the tactics that you learn are meant to be applied on a much bigger scale than just on a 50 meter field and to 12 dudes, right? It's very unlikely in, I would say a modern scenario that an infantry or any kind of like platoon or a section or squad for our American viewers out there uh, would be out there unassisted by some other asset on the field. So these guys will have the baseline concept of how to shoot, move, communicate as a individual cell or a section or a squad. But the next step up from that, the second you take any kind of contact, is to radio in and let people know, okay, this is happening. This is, or what? What can you help? How can you assist us in what's going on right now? That includes like artillery or air support, or, or information on what's going on around you. There's so many other components to what is really happening on the battle space, other than just the shooting part of it. Yeah, and I guess the closing and destroying with the enemy in this context. So let's say you are on the on the actual battlefield with your section and you have to close and destroy the enemy that is attacking you, that would likely be like a very last resort, right? Because there's no other options that are available to you. It'd be something like, again, we talked a little earlier, like a chance encounter. Like if I'm walking along the field and I take uh, shots or contact to my front, to my left, to my right, what have you, at that point, like you're in the open or you're decisively engaged with an enemy in which you have to fight in order to sustain your life, your life and the lives of those around you. In that situation, yeah, you're going to be just fighting to survive. But if there's any way that I can just engage him, keep his head down, and then call in something else 
that's better, like artillery or aircraft or something to leverage the uh, battle in my favor, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't want to needlessly go up there and engage an enemy in close combat in which that it's just me and that other guy. That's all it is. My rifle and me versus that guy and his rifle. It's a pretty even fight, right? Yeah. That's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Yeah, you a never even want to fight. Yeah, a you never want to fight. Yeah. So I think you also raise a really good point. If you were in a situation where someone was actually trying to kill you, that would likely be pretty scary. For me as a civilian, I have no training. I've never actually been shot at in my life. So the, the thought of someone actually trying to kill me is pretty terrifying. If I'm trained in the military, and I know a lot of military training is built on muscle memory and reaction. Like when you take fire, you're not thinking, oh God, I'm going to get killed. It's like, I got a job to do. I guess what, I, what I'm trying to get to here is you're accustomed to the hazard of potentially losing your life. And knowing that, and then going to airsoft and then have people shoot at you with plastic BBs, which can in basically no way, shape or form threaten your life. That must mean that you're not afraid when you play airsoft. You're not afraid of getting hit. There is zero on the line. You don't basically have no skin in the game. So you can do all kinds of crazy stuff on the field. And anyone who's in the military will likely feel the same way. Is that fair? I would say that uh, most people when they go on their BMQ or another course like that, it's often reiterated to the candidate or member that this is a career path in which could eventually possibly bring you into an environment where your life could be in jeopardy. The thought is always there, but honestly, with Airsoft in general, I, the pain of getting shot initially, when I started playing Airsoft before I joined the military in the first place, and the pain of getting shot was the biggest kind of just, that was what prevented me from really poking around that corner when I wanted to, or moving up and being aggressive when I wanted to, and when I kind of got over the concept, just it's only just getting hit by BB, okay? You might get a fat lip if you're hitting, if you're not wearing like proper lower face pro, or you might get like a little bruise or in I guess in John's case I'd be being the chin for a couple of years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's not that bad it's just getting hit by a plastic BB so once you get over that fact I just don't see it's that big of an issue to get hit by a BB now and then if you don't if you come up to airsoft and don't want to get hit then why are you in the first place right that's totally fair and you didn't need military training to come to that realization no not right? at all and do you think looking at a lot of the people that you've trained as well, because one of the things Pat and I were talking about is you've also seen all sorts, right? Because, you know, military training is any sort of slice of the population. It's all based on averages. So you will have people in your group who are better. You have people who are average. You have people who are worse. You have men, you have women. I don't really know how it actually works in your context. Um, but as a consequence of that, you will have seen the way that people react to that sort of stress. So do you think that the average person coming out of BMQ who has fully qualified soldier would actually have the same reaction to, as you to potentially being hit by BBs as, I don't care about this. I think it really comes to the mindset. We have people that join the military and they just want to just have a new career path. They want a new job. They want to try something different, unique, something that's not the common job you have out there. And you have guys that join the military because they have such a burning passion and desire. They want to see what this is all about. And you have guys that come in like, I really enjoy firearms. I really enjoy the concept of infantry and the, the overarching kind of just idea of what the army could bring you. I think when those kind of people who really have a desire and they want to be there, they say this has been a dream of theirs. They say that this is something I want to do for a very long time. These people have either researched, played paintball, airsoft, or watched enough movies, or watched enough instructional videos, techniques, and that kind of stuff that they're already going to have the kind of elevated skill set or mindset before they even enter the military in the first place. When they leave, they're just adding on to their skill set or knowledge base from the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
And actually, you, you also raise a good another good point, which is that so someone shows up to the field and you're told that they're a soldier. Not all soldiers are created equal, right? Like just like any job, it's like the old joke goes, like, what do you call the, the person who's the last graduate of a medical school? Doctor. Right, you could be the last place in your school, you're still a doctor. Similarly, if you pass BMQ, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are, you've met a certain threshold and therefore you can you can continue on and, you know, pick another trade or whatever. And realistically, you're probably also a better shot than I am with an actual rifle by a huge margin. <laughs> but so you likely will have seen that bell curve in your classes of people who are, you know, like you said, elevated skill set, very good, they've got the right mindset, they're very good at their job. You've got the average people who make up the bulk of your of your peeps, and then you've got also people who are just like either not cutting it or they're just scraping by and those people make it into the forces as well so when someone shows up at the field and they're a soldier you also don't necessarily know if they're actually good at their job that's assuming they're even infantry right so if i was go to the field and someone's telling me oh this guy's in the military and he's an x to me, it doesn't really say this guy has a knowledge about what airsoft is. We spoke about it earlier. We said that like um, this guy, he's coming out to try airsoft first time. He's been in the military for I don't know, let's say ten years for the sake of just a number. And again, if I was to play airsoft the first time tomorrow, I never played it in my life, but I have my military experience. I would expect my airsoft rifle to have at least a semi-similar performance to my rifle or any kind of rifle out there, any kind of firearm ever fired. I'd be very surprised when I wouldn't have the same kind of output, I guess, output than what my rifle would do. If I was to hear someone had experience, it would just be based on like how they conduct themselves, carry themselves, how they spoke, how they walked around, how they talked to people. We have guys that come out from my unit now and then, they come out to play. Uh, they have a little more they can bring to the table to people because they know how to shoot, move, communicate, they know how to operate in a small team, small squad environment. They know how to react, they know how to use cover effectively when they're actually engaged from the enemy or the other team. So I do believe that they bring skills to the table, but a lot of it isn't transferable all the time. Again, these guys learn things that aren't going to be relevant to Airsoft. We're not mm -hmm. doing drill, we're not doing ceremonial rifle drill out in the, in the field, right? We're not doing that in the village or walking on the field for any, it's not going to achieve any purpose, right? Or we're not having them fill out memos for how to um, request a course, or we're not having them... Uh, map and compass, for example. Yes, it's an asset you could use in like a mill sim, but for a random Saturday, Sunday skirmish, you don't have to read a map and you know the field off the back of your hand, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of these skills they're, they're learning and bringing to the table are really important and great tools to have at your disposal, even just in your day-to-day -day life, but not all of it's going to be really relevant for the airsoft field. We talked about how weapon manipulation is an important skill, but having watched a lot of Magpul videos, having shot your dad's AR-15 back in the day, there's a lot of stuff that happens with a real gun that you train for that doesn't happen with an airsoft gun. I remember when we went shooting, this is like, I don't know how long ago that was, probably like 12 years ago now. It was a while. But like, <laughs> that was a while ago. The weapon failed to fire at least twice. In one case, it had a, a double feed, I'm pretty sure, maybe even a stovepipe. In the military, you're doing a lot of those drills. I think you said they were called uh, immediate action drills or IAs. So that when you pull the trigger and nothing happens, you go through a set procedure to clear the malfunction and get your weapon back in the fight. That's knowledge that is crucial, I would suspect, to an infantryman, but has zero transferability to airsoft, right? And I remember, uh, as an example, that's sort of related, at one point, a, uh, a guy who had been in the forces, you know, trained in weapon manipulation, was looking at my rifle, my uh, M4 with the 203 on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember, the spring on the charging handle was busted for like a really, really long time. 
because he assumed that it would charge like a normal rifle and just <laughs> ripped it back as hard as you would on a normal rifle and basically pulled it out of the gun. <laughs> right? When I got my first airsoft gun, I think it was M4 from Walmart. Oh, man, it's back in 2000 and... I want to say eight or nine, and I was so excited. I brought it home, showed my dad, and took it out of the box, and he started ripping on the charging handle, like you just said. And he maybe maybe goes back, and a common airsoft gun, an AEG, charging handle goes back maybe an inch, yep. if even that. And so we're pulling on pulling, and he's like, Cal, like, what, what is this? I'm like, an airsoft gun, Dad. This is junk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting, I mean, your dad was in the forces as well, probably, is he still in the forces? He is retiring this year, yeah. actually, this last year. So, you know, that is the, that's the Definitely reaction. one of the reasons why I also joined as well. Yeah, for sure, and I think that's the case for many people. Sometimes, or sometimes it's the reverse, their whole family in the military, and they say, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that, just to buck the system a little, but <laughs> that's a topic for another day. But so, we've been around it. When we initially talked about recording this, this uh, episode... My initial expectation that the answer to the question is, do soldiers make better airsofters, would be just flat out no. But in reality, it, based on our conversation, my opinion is actually changing a little bit. And it's not to say that they, certainly, firstly, they can't, they can't be. Obviously, you're a good airsoft player and you're a soldier. So that, obviously, that, that premise is false. But you, you just mentioned, like, you have a basic fundamental understanding of shooting, moving, and communicating, which is really important. A really good understanding of using cover effectively, which is something we harp on in a lot of our videos, because most airsofters don't use cover effectively at all. They're just, they're, their elbows and their knees are hanging out from left, right, and center, and it just, it's easy prey for people who are, who know, who know the sport. But I think the flip of that is also that Soldiers don't know airsoft, and as a consequence, there's a, there's that learning curve. It's kind of like watching uh, a real-life fighter pilot, for example, jump into DCS and fly around. Well, there's they have transferable skills, but there's a lot of input that's missing that to bring them to that level, because it's a game, it's not the real thing. I would right? say it gives you a toolbox that you have to kind of just add on to and learn how to use the tools you're given. Mm -hmm. so the military will give you the baseline skill set, and then with airsoft, you have to kind of tailor and build what you're given in order to fit that situation mm -hmm. so there are certain skills and when we if you look at some of our other videos that we look at that there's specific skills that are used in airsoft they can certainly be used in the real world too but real world law enforcement militaries typically don't use them very very much and i think for example i think about shooting on your offside right um and talking with chris and watching a lot of like real steel shooters they don't do a tremendous amount of offside shooting in the real world in real world situations like swat teams going into a building for example not necessarily switching shoulders the way that we do in airsoft or sitting behind one piece of cover shooting from one side transitioning shoulders shooting from the other side those aren't necessarily really skills that you train soldiers to do as well is my understanding would that be fair uh, yes and no so Yes, we train, or I've been trained to use my offside shoulder. I've been trained to fire in more unorthodox positions. Is it something that we really do frequently? I wouldn't say very often. That's because we have to meet a threshold of training. So we train a certain level, and then if we have time afterwards and ammunition, um, mostly just time and ammo because both are kind of valuable when you have a weekend of training or a week of training here or there, you have to fit some other things into your schedule for it actually to achieve a certain level of training that isn't just shooting. Mm -hmm. We do a lot more than just shooting. So to fit that, you can't really do all these cool drills. I wouldn't say that most riflemen or individuals who are in a combat arms 
uh, profession really train in that manner all the time. And so it works both ways. Like there are skills that you have in the infantry that are not used in airsoft, and there are skills in airsoft that are not necessarily not used in the real world military, but definitely not as prevalent. And again, if you're engaging targets 300 meters away, the necessity for you to switch shoulders and engage from your offside is probably a lot less than it is in airsoft because the, the range is so much greater. At at like 25 meters, if I'm not engaging from my offside when I need to, I'm going to get hit. And I know that because I've done it many, many times. If you're 300 meters away, the chance of you being hit from either side is much, much less. Also, I think that in uh, airsoft, you're unable to shoot through the uh, cover that you're hiding behind, right? <laughs> Which may not be the case with uh, with real yeah. firearms. Most people in the front line, for example, they're all wood. Like, there's no reason why you ever actually breach a room like that, unless there's possibility for, like, a no-shoot target or, like, a, someone that's not a combatant in the room. Otherwise, you know, if it's just enemy combatants in the room, you know for certain, then you're just going to lay in that room with, like, an M24, well, in Canada, C9, but an M249 for our American viewers or any other viewers, which I'm sure everyone here knows what an M249 is, you're just going to lay into that wall with just an LMG. Yeah. But at the same time, like, the enemy wouldn't really be hiding in a plywood house. Yeah, <laughs> that's true, yeah. yeah you're trying, trying you to hold are, the corner like that. If you are, you've thought that through very poorly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned earlier at the, at the beginning, which I think is also an important when it comes to the mindset of a soldier playing airsoft, I remember this happening at a game earlier this year, I think, where I was like, all right, Cal, what are we doing? And you were like, I'm not at work right now. <laughs> and like being a soldier is a job. And there's also this reality that you're a soldier. You come, you want to play airsoft to unwind. You don't necessarily want to replicate what you do in your day to day, right? You see a soldier at the field. He might not be wanting to play soldier right now. I think a big problem comes to from that when I create an actual plan, so it's not something you create on the fly. I mean, you can, uh, so it's not hidden knowledge. NATO has this kind of like quick little frago we can give out, like you're gonna have your situation of what's going around you, your mission, so what your actual task is, you're gonna accomplish the execution, so how we're gonna accomplish it in like phases, uh, service support, so like what do we have at our disposal, who can help us, and communication plan. Uh, so our com communication and command. So it could just be um, who is in command of the team, who's in command if this happens or if one of us goes down, what's our communication plan, what have you. It's still a lengthy process and it could take upwards of like half an hour to make like a small short plan because you want to make sure everything is hashed out. Everyone knows their job, everyone knows what they're carrying, where they're going, what's happening in this phase of the plan, that kind of stuff. It's just a lot to take in, develop and create. and. A long, fleshed-out set of orders could take upwards of like two, three, four hours mm -hmm. to create. In airsoft, you just—if you want to do that, great. And again, these guys, Milsim West, and these other Milsim uh, environments and um, avenues—if they enjoy doing that and enjoy creating these long, elaborate, and uh, in-depth plans, all the power to them. But I don't want to take my work and then come to the airsoft field. I just want to hop out there and, I don't know, wear my Oscam bottoms, my Fleck turn top with a Chinese communist chest rig and my M4 HPA. I just, I just, I just want to go out there and just shoot plastic. That's yeah. I, want. I just want to relax, have fun with like, my friends, and just shoot people. And the stakes aren't the same. Exactly. If, if it doesn't work out, then, okay, that, that's it. See yeah. you next round, fellas. Like, let's start again. Especially since most days we're, you know, resetting every five minutes, right? Yeah, yeah I'm not sitting minutes. there panicking or thinking, if we go here, what is the risk and reward of coming here? What could happen if we take contact here? If we're spotted here, it's possible the patrol or the mission could be scrubbed. Like, 
if it happens in airsoft, you just kind of you just roll with it. And if you get hit, okay, that's it. You just you walk up the field and you play again in ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm not planning for if I get hit when I'm two hours of patrol, I need my my team to carry me back three or four kilometers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's you just mentioned. That, I think is a fair point. Like, what's the risk and reward? And the risk in airsoft is zero. Like in terms of real world, like there is no risk involved, right? So if you do spend three hours creating a plan for airsoft what are you gaining from that too what are you losing too like you're losing all that time which you could be actually conducting an offensive on the objective yeah and a lot of games too out there like it's infinite respawns in some cases you're gonna have a game where like um, the defenders have to hold for like we played this many times where the defenders have to hold for 10 minutes or 15 minutes what have you and the attackers have unlimited lives they're so conservative with how they conduct their attack that's Yes, this is real world and you have a risk of like losing your life or being injured or maimed, then yes, have an awesome, well thought out, orchestrated plan to achieve the most out of the plan and timing that you have. But the airsoft is, if you're going to hit, you could hit, walk back, and you come right back out again. If you get hit, who cares? Well, actually, in point of fact, like you were saying earlier, real world, you'd just be sitting there on your radio being like, all right, can we have artillery, please? Because <laughs> this we're not attacking this fortified position, right? I mean, in fairness... I've had days at Airsoft where I'm like, I, I could go for some artillery. Do we have any left? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so at the end of the day, like someone shows up to the Airsoft field and they're a soldier. What are they bringing to the table that the average person is not bringing? I would say they will bring a baseline knowledge of how to conduct themselves in a offensive or defensive or a scenario in which Airsoft would be applicable. So they'll know how to actually use the weapon. They'll know how to reload it. They'll know how to shoot, move, communicate, effectively be a member of a team in an offensive or defensive scenario or some kind of other just they'll know how to incorporate themselves and have a general idea in which how this should work in the real world they can take and sort of just kind of mold into how it work in airsoft and i gotta say like these are transferable skills like these are things that you can learn from people if you're willing to pay attention to how they're playing the game right so they're definitely very valuable skills for even a, a brand new player who's coming in with that skill set, right? Uh, they don't necessarily uh, translate into being, you know, the best airsofter ever just because you showed up. But, man, the skill set you just listed off is a lot of the stuff that I personally would rather have on a teammate than, like, really high personal skills if it comes down to it. Yeah, so I think it's pretty fair to say if someone shows up to the field and they're, like, an active, you know, m- member of the military and it turns out that they're an infantry because, of course, if they're not infantry and they've been in and their trade is something else, their ability to conduct themselves in offensive, defensive, combat arms situations will probably be lessened if their last 10 years have been spent in a specific trade, such as being a mechanic or, um, you know, being a lawyer or a doctor, right? These individuals will still go out and they'll still participate in these kind of, like, scenarios, exercises, that kind of stuff. It's just that they won't have the constant exposure. So an infantryman or another combat arms member will be constantly exposed. That is, their entire job is to be proficient in this kind of environment in which they could be um, attacking, defending, I'm speaking like airsoft terms now, in which they will be defending an objective or attacking an objective or moving item or going from point A to point B to conduct another objective, that kind of stuff. These, this is what they would be training for pretty much all the time. So if you're a dentist or a supply technician or a cook, like they're going to learn these same skills. They have all these skills as well. They're not doing it as frequently. Fair enough. So we started off the episode. We gave you this, this fictional scenario that you're at a game. Someone shows up. You learn that they're a soldier. Your re- immediate reaction is going to be, I want that guy on my team. And that's probably not a 
bad reaction, right? I would say if if it was me in the field, I had no experience in the military, and someone told me that someone was here today, and they have X amount of years in the military, yes, my brain would only go towards that this guy is a step above, or he has more experience than what the normal person here coming for the first day would have. And again, that's, it's, it's obvious that the person would have weapons handling skills, they have the ability to communicate effectively, they have the ability to uh, take cover, use cover effectively, move from point A to B effectively while using cover, and using all these skills in conjunction at the same time. So how to move effectively, how to engage effectively when they take fire from moving point A to point B. So yes, I think these members would have uh, a heightened level of skill or heightened level of ability to bring to the table. But again, I still think that a couple weeks of playing Airsoft, if you put that guy toe-to-toe who has like a couple weeks or even like a year of playing Airsoft against someone who's brand new to it, no matter their level of skill, if they don't know how to use an Airsoft gun or the capabilities of that Airsoft gun or platform, they're going to win. That Airsoft is going to win because they just know how to play the game, what the limitations on that platform can do. Like, if I put six around, it'll go straight through a bush or a plywood wall, that kind of, that, mm-hmm. whatever have you. But a BB will get stopped by, what, a leaf. Yeah. Or it'll get bounced off of that or go off target. It won't pierce through even like moderately thick to lightly thick brush. So Airsoft will know what his rifle or Airsoft gun can bring to the table as opposed to what the brand new guy who's just playing with the first time ever. Yeah. They don't know what tornado grenades are. They don't know the Airsoft M203s. They don't know there's Airsoft shotguns or all these other platforms that are out there for Airsoft that have been tailored to what Airsoft can bring to the table. You've seen on YouTube, I'm sure, videos that are like, SWAT officer plays Airsoft for the first time and destroys everyone and those kinds of stuff. And I guess the reality is that that's probably not going to be the case if that's the, their first time playing. I'd be very surprised if that person who was being spoken about in that video was his first time playing. Mm-hmm. I would almost guarantee it's not. Yeah. And again, like if it's just from urban ops, like a kill house, or in some manner of like a speed soft scenario, and all it is is just that guy pulling a trigger on a, on a person who's maybe 20 meters away, then yeah, it's... I would give the edge to the military member. If it's a random new player versus a random military member, no real experience with airsoft guns, and they're just going to be shooting each other, I would give the, the edge to the military member. Are you telling me that YouTube lied to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, we never lie. <laughs> this is an interesting conversation because, you know, we've seen in airsoft a lot. Unfortunately, you know, people like, doing the stolen valor thing like pretending they've been in the military i've had it happen to me people come up to me and being like i serve in a battalion in in another province uh i serve with the u.s army rangers i was a ranger i served overseas or you know yeah i served multiple tours overseas i was in combat you know my lab was destroyed i lost a lot of buddies and stuff and getting a lot of these uh, either stories that are exaggerated in nature or just straight up false those are stories that i've heard personally and you see that a lot in the airsoft field unfortunately people doing that so that they can get that respect and that reverence from players right so it's it's unfortunate but that's that's also reality right i mean it's a great way to get yourself uh tossed back out of the community real quick because it doesn't stand up yeah mm-hmm. i would say that if that person was ever found out not just by the airsoft community but anyone else externally from that they're gonna have a very bad time in my experience people who are in the military so myself i don't really advertise to anyone like if someone asks i will be frank and honest with them i'll tell them that yes i work in the military i've been in the military x amount of time and a brief synopsis of my experiences but i'm not going to go out of my way to make sure everyone in the room knows what i've done in my past it's that's the what do you know do for a living right it's not you know like oh man i'm gonna walk around waving a flag about this i'm not the kind of guy that, like don't worry don't ask don't worry about asking what he does for a living he'll tell you 
Yeah. You have guys who are very prideful of what they've done, or they're prideful of their experiences or accomplishments and what have you. As long as they're humble to a certain degree, they're not embellishing their record or telling stories in which it was not their story or it's just a flagrant lie. Mm-hmm. I don't feel there's anything wrong with actually discussing. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess where I'm trying to get to is we see that more in Airsoft because you're dealing with a community of people who automatically will give you more respect, generally speaking. Yeah, I would definitely say the Airsoft community has... The vast majority have some manner of interest in the military to some degree. It's definitely a sport that attracts member or correction people who have an interest in that line of work or they have an interest in applying later on in their life or just an interest in the hobby because it's in line with military aspects like mm-hmm. history or modern day units or what have you. It's just an interesting hobby that allows you to somehow recreate and be a part of it without the inherent risk of being in the actual organization itself. Yeah, and that's, that's a very valid point. Well, Cal, thanks so much for having the conversation with us today. I think that was, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. We've been a bit irreverent here today, for sure, about uh, about some of this. But I do want to stress that, you know, we have the utmost respect for members of the military, uh, both serving and uh, retired. Uh, and we're tremendously grateful for everything that you do and continue to do and have done uh, on our behalf. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. And we will see you next week. See you guys.